2: Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park.
3: Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon. Versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from RootMetric's second half 2020 U.S. Report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.
4: Some cars are comfy on the inside but don't have power on the outside. And some cars have the horsepower but none of the comfort. I used to think there weren't any cars that were the total package. But that all changed when I got my Honda SUV. It's rugged and sophisticated. And right now, Honda has deals on the entire Honda SUV lineup. CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, you name it. So if you're looking for a car that's the total package, the only place you'll find it is at your local Honda dealer. Hurry before they're all gone. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. Tonight, we're here to talk about the defense from the Cowboys game. Nice win, back on track in a way, and Voss Lyricos here from Baltimore Beatdown to talk with us about it. Voss, how you doing? I cannot complain. Doing pretty well. How are you? Yeah, can't complain either. It's, uh, it's nice to kind of be getting back to a normal schedule, and it's kind of weird that a Tuesday game... Heading into a Monday game actually seems like a normal schedule because we still got the six-day weeks to deal with for a couple weeks.
5: Discombobulated for sure. It uh, definitely out of our normal routine, but the team got the
4: win, first one in a while.
5: So uh, all things are pointing in the right direction.
4: Hopefully. Yeah, to me, watching that game at least, it felt like a normal NFL game this last night uh the previous one felt like an exhibition game on the previous wednesday sure a lot of uh, practice squad players call-ups uh some
5: fans that are not as serious more casual fans were saying who are these players against the
4: steelers uh, what was that nine or ten days ago yeah so anyway we move on uh good stuff and before we go too far we'll hear from our sponsors All right. Well, I had some thoughts on the game is that the Ravens obviously clearly do not right now control their own destiny officially. Now people say, well, of course, you know, A is going to lose to B and whatnot. And they're going to win it. But they don't, in fact, control their own destiny right now. Uh, it's a little bit disturbing, but they are close to in if they win out. Winning out will depend largely on whether or not they can win this next Monday night, which is pretty much a toss up game. How do you see it, boss? I do think it's a toss up game. It should be close. I was looking at
5: 538's model. They give the Ravens currently a 59% chance to make the playoffs. That jumps to 85% with a win over Cleveland on Monday, drops to 32% with a loss to Cleveland. So that's a pretty big swing there. And then the remaining games are probably about two touchdown favorites against Cincy and Jacksonville. And probably about a touchdown favorite against the Giants. So this is the uh, the crucial one coming up.
4: Yeah, 53% leverage is enormous for a single game. Uh, I, I don't know about their, their models' validity. I mean, There's a lot of different playoff models out there. The Devoa models seem to like the Ravens a little better. I'm not sure they reflect exactly who the Ravens are right now, of course. But... Uh, uh, we are we are who we are, and I guess we get to find out next Monday night. Uh, slight betting favorite, minus one and a half this morning. Fifty one point nine percent implied win probability to win this game. Uh, let's talk about the Dallas game though a little bit. That's something we can actually reflect on as far as just to project to if we watch this game during the nineteen seventies and the nineteen eighties we would have said the Ravens went into the prevent defense to close it out. Uh, a lot of very soft zone coverage with their race car package on the field to end this game. Definitely the fourth
5: quarter there. Um, even the Hail Mary and the end and the first half, Martindale sent Queen, was the only pass yep. rusher. Out of character for for Martindale for sure, but as you're going to get into, I think uh, – playing a little bit more coverage you're putting more people into coverage was more effective. And it's good to see Wink is able to to adjust on the fly and, and do what's working.
4: Yeah, if anybody can do that, Wink, from game to game and from in-game, in remarkable manager of what's going on and really understanding what's working for his defense uh, at the time. Uh, Cowboys certainly had an onslaught of medium distance plays in this game they had 15 passes that went for 10 or more yards they had another couple of runs that went that way uh they only had one play of 20 plus yards and that was that fourth and 19 conversion in the final minute that was a 28 yard play that was their only only play when I looked at this they allowed 29 first downs in this game which is tied for the eighth most in team history. they Three times they've allowed 29, seven times they've allowed between 30 and 33, which is the all-time high. Uh, but what's remarkable about it is that with 28 non-penalty first downs, the Cowboys still only had 388 total offensive yards. Think about it. You need 10 per first down, right? Sure, sure. Um, it, it was a little bit odd. Uh,
5: I think... They were really, really attacking the Ravens down that left sideline, and they were finding some space between the zones in the middle of the field. 20 of their first downs were by the pass, eight by the run. I think, in a way, um, you have to give Dallas some credit here. Kellen Moore, their coordinator, called a good game. And Dallas, I mean, they have a lot of talent. They really do on the offensive side of the ball. They've invested so many resources, and even without their two high-paid offensive tackles and Prescott down, uh, they still have tremendous resources invested, a wide receiver and running back, um, and even a couple of their uh, – both of their starting offensive guards were day two picks um, in this game. So they weren't necessarily a, a, a team to walk over by any means.
4: Yeah, that offensive line was in shambles. I would have really appreciated it if the Ravens' defense had been able to do more against them, particularly with the application of some scheme. And we'll get into a little bit more about that when we talk about the pass rush. Uh, A little disappointing that they lost the snap count as badly as they did, 77-54. to Obviously, in this game, not good. Uh, I give some of the credit to Dallas. I give some of the blame to the Ravens not really getting it after it. But when they tried to get after it, that really did not work as well. And, uh, you know, we'll we'll talk about that some, but, but I'll just spoil this a little bit by saying when they rushed five-plus, the Ravens gave up 9.4 yards per play. The
5: Ravens gave up some long drives, a uh, 12-play, six-minute drive in the second quarter, a uh, – what is that, a nine-play, four-minute drive, another 12-play, five-and-a-half-minute drive in the third quarter – and a 12-play drive in the another one in the fourth quarter. They lost time of possession by five minutes.
4: Mm-hmm. Couldn't get off the field a lot of that, and and it wasn't just third down. In fact, third down was almost one of their better downs. They allowed the, the uh, Cowboys to convert six of 15 on third down. Then subsequently, they converted three more of those on fourth down. So it's really like nine of 15 when they got to that point. But that's sixty percent. It while bad, certainly by NFL standards, wasn't nearly as bad as giving up twenty conversions on first and second down. That's where they really got killed. And the Cowboys just had an easy, you know, pitch and catch throw system going out. A lot of it, as you mentioned, in front of Anthony Averett on that left sideline. Surely, surely.
5: Um, so, Avrit, uh, not his best game. We'll see. We'll see when Jimmy Smith can return this game. I'll be honest. I earmarked this as one of two potential losses uh, way back in August when everybody was healthy and you didn't know because Dallas matches up pretty well. I thought that the Ravens optimistically probably going to lose to the Chiefs and the Cowboys. Obviously, things turned out differently, but when you have three elite corners and, and you lose one and you're going up against a team with probably still the best wide receiver group from top to bottom in the league, they, uh, they're they going to find some space
4: occasionally. All right. So anyway, I think the the Ravens did a pretty good job of minimizing the damage on the big plays. Obviously, while they did have a lot of medium-distance plays, they still only averaged 5.7 yards per pass. And if we look at that, we see Joe Flacco. You know, It's (laughs) it's it's, it's honestly a a level of offense which is not acceptable. Uh, And they did turn the ball over once in 49 tries. It's just everything has a very high denominator in that passing game. And unfortunately, there weren't a lot of really big negative events that drive defenses to get off the field. They had a lot of average kind of plays, which kept drives going. Sure, that
5: makes sense. Uh, it was it was kind of easy in a way. A lot of it was easy, but they weren't taking a lot of uh, high-risk plays necessarily.
4: All right, well, we got some good news today. Uh, some some more folks coming back, uh, and their big names, Mark Andrews, Matthew Judon, And, uh, you know, maybe a little bit lesser known one, but Will Holden, who had played well at right tackle for one half, like a lot of people have, by the way, for the Ravens this season, it (laughs) seems, uh, you know, comes back and, and he'll be on the practice squad initially has one more free call up. Then I think he may be an answer. First of all, at right tackle, I think he might be the best answer, but I'm almost certain he's the best answer at left tackle. If anything were to happen there. Sure. Um, Definitely need
5: uh, some stability, maybe at right tackle. Maybe he can lock down that job and being a natural tackle. The big one to me is really Andrews. And Obviously, Judon against a team, a power run team like Cleveland's should definitely help. But Andrews, just notably, Cleveland has allowed the second most production out of any team in the NFL to the tight end position this season. Hmm. I think that's a matchup that g row can, can look to target. Uh, two more notes on that game before we move on trends that kind of favor the ravens the ravens are 10 and 2 uh, st- uh straight up in december over the last three seasons and 11 and 3 straight up on the road
4: well they're 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 not going to look past this game this is the only game and and you know you mentioned the leverage implied this Harbaugh will be able to get them up for this game that's not the problem the problem is the browns will also be up for it mm-hmm. browns have had a little more time to, to rest up here they'll They'll have everything they've got, and they'll be pushing all their chips in the pot in the same way. Uh, the Browns are not, are still likely to make the playoffs, even if they lose this game. The Ravens, you know, as we've indicated earlier, there's a, there's a much greater chance that the Ravens will be impacted in terms of in or out if they were to lose this game.
5: Sure, going to uh, require a team effort and uh, definitely some good play calling and some good game planning on both sides of the ball.
4: All right, let's move on and talk about some of the other defensive elements here because I thought the biggest element from this game was the return of the Monstars. All three defensive linemen healthy for the first time since week eight for a full game. And Williams and Wolf both had terrific games. We want to talk about each of them. But unfortunately, Campbell did not seem to be moving particularly well. Absolutely not. He looked
5: uh, downright slow. Lateral agility was definitely lacking um covid complications perhaps he is asthmatic uh also calf strain for a 300 pound six foot eight 34 year old man might be a little tough to uh, to recover from 23 snaps well below his normal share maybe again on the bright side maybe it's just a ramp up period
4: yeah, I think they definitely managed his snaps, and I, th- I would have said the same for Williams Wolf. They they fed him sixty two snaps in this game. He's a he's a workaholic, uh, uh, you know. Apparently, very happy to do it. Um, Wolf had a just a, a marvelous game. So much that went perhaps unnoticed. We had nine tackles now, nine tackles for a defensive lineman is an extraordinary total. That's a very high total. The number of times Haloti Nada, for example, would have had eight tackles in a game would have been less than a dozen in his career, maybe more like eight games in, in his career. Wolf, nine tackles, eight of them were defensive wins, meaning they were, by the football outsider's definition, they were they were less than the required yardage dependent upon the down and distance uh, for that situation. That's just a huge number. We saw him contributing the goal line. And then more importantly, maybe in the pass rush, he contributed to two of Judon's events, both the sack... Where he was the uh, on, he was the looper who allowed Judon to get home. Uh, sorry, Ward, Ward, I'm Ward. Yep. Ward to get home. Did I say Judon the first time too? Yeah, uh, whatever. Okay, so John I know you're Erdogan. talking about. <laughs> and, and the second time he was the underneath player who created a very clear and easy lane for Ward to get home. So uh, Ward's a big game he owes significantly to Wolf as well. Wolf was terrific. He really was, almost all of his tackles, as you
5: said, were you know two yards within the line of scrimmage right at the line, yard, uh, line of scrimmage, had a big tackle for a loss. He just very disruptive, beating his man, getting into the backfield. I think this was probably Wolf's best game as a raven uh, to date.
4: Yeah, with, without question in my mind, uh, it certainly was. And, and, and next to him on the line, great to have Brandon Williams back. Did not have a real extensive game. I forget it. it was 25 or 27 snaps. But two big penetrations on the goal line stand. And that's probably the least he did. But it reminded me how little we've seen in terms of penetration as opposed to just reactive attempting to hold your ground versus double teams that we've seen the last few weeks. And Ellis has worked his hard off. These, these last few weeks. He's, he's just worked his tail off to try and make things happen, but he just is not as talented as, as uh, Brandon Williams when it comes straight down to it. We saw a lot of that. Ellis
5: played a lot of snaps, almost as many as mm-hmm. as Brandon in this game, but Brandon was was seemingly making plays in spurts where he would take over for two and three plays at a time. Um, he also had a deep penetration of low-up run early in the third quarter, uh, definitely one of his better penetrating games or, or – as far as that, he also had the, uh, as, you, as you mentioned or noted, the uncalled intentional grounding.
3: Mm-hmm.
5: Um, he had a hold that started to drive, and then he tipped that pass. The clean that he really timed that play perfectly, wanted to shoot his hands up and, and, uh, and get into that throwing lane.
4: Yeah, I mean, we, we've often got time, uh, uh, gotten on Brandon Williams for not getting meaningful pressures, but he really made both of his pressures count in this game. The, the intentional grounding one, I mean, that really should have been effectively a sack. It would have been a loss of down and a big loss on the play. And then, of course, the the, the tip ball was one of the very biggest plays of the game. So uh, he's, he's uh, certainly one of the guys I looked at as, as starring in this game. And uh, boy, it's great to have those three back on the field. It's just night and day. To Definitely, have those off, those defensive linemen, and both the rookie defensive tackles, Matabike and
5: Washington, were were healthy scratches in this game, which I thought was interesting. I would expect one, if not both, of them to dress uh, on Monday.
4: Yes, I think they'll go to five five defensive linemen, and I think they certainly probably need to go to five if Campbell is not vastly improved in terms of his uh, health. Sure, sure. Uh Ravens have some choices to make coming up in terms of the roster. Now, this is they've they've got a lot of players coming back now from the COVID list, and they've had a lot of flexibility to bring up basically whoever they wanted from the practice squad. But now they have they have some more difficult choices to make. So Chris Moore is coming back uh, or or he's available. He can actually be activated, I, I believe, as late as the 25th of December, if the Ravens choose to hold it off. But you know, you wonder now about certain positions and whether or not more might, you know, foreshadow the end of Des Bryant in Baltimore. I, I, Des Bryant is, you know, he he obviously very emotionally made the statement that he's not going to play again. I don't really believe that. I think he'll he'll want to finish the season. But I think there is a real question as to whether the Ravens would prefer at this point to have more Bryant on the roster.
5: Sure, uh, we'll we'll see how that plays out. It's hard to keep track of all the roster maneuvers lately. It really is <laughs> with the with the COVID lists and the call ups and the short term IR. I thought Moore was back for this game. Uh, it's just it's it's a lot to keep track of. We're usually pretty on top of it, but I've never seen anything like quite like this season.
4: No, I I agree. Never, never have. I mean, they brought Averett back, and that really took away a roster spot that is, you know, is currently for a COVID player who's going to be back. And you know, we we did see this week that TCC got deactivated, Tristan Colon mm-hmm. Casillo, and a lot of people were shocked by that. It's just it's just like the most surprising thing that's ever <laughs> happened. A guy who you know played okay for one game is, is now not available. But the Ravens have more. Uh, choices they need to make, and and they really have honestly remarkable depth on that offensive line. You know, I know this, we're talking about the defense today, but let's just talk about this while we're here. Is it's December? There's COVID going on worldwide. There's a bunch of players who opted out for the season, and the Ravens still have you know eleven to pick ten or ten to pick nine on the offensive line. They did release Rodgers, who they picked up as as tackle depth, but they have Holden now coming back, and they have to make some choices now about who's active. In particular, but also just even who's on the 53-man roster. Sure. Well, the benefits of, of continuing
5: to stack the depth chart, the middle rounds with offensive linemen year after year, and and working that waiver wire as DaCosta does so well. Yeah.
4: All right. Well, well done. I the only guy I see who's obviously uh you know probably in danger of losing a spot is Christian Welch at this point. The inside linebacker core seems solid. I don't think they can keep a spot for him. For a special teams player at this point, any longer. I think they're going to have to use that to uh, uh, to make room, whether that's more or whether that's another player coming back that they need to bring on. It doesn't really matter which goes for which. It's kind of like saying, I'm going to spend this $10 on this, you know, as opposed to I'm going to throw it on the pile and then I'm going to pick from that pile at a later point. Well, the special
5: teams, and I know this is a defensive podcast, but they were a little bit sloppy. So I think more coming
4: back should be helpful. Yeah, you're right. Probably, probably should lend. Uh, impetus to that uh, let's talk briefly briefly through packages now in terms of uh, what's uh, what the Ravens played in this the Ravens the Cowboys ran 77 snaps and the Ravens really ran a a different set of packages they then they've been running in some ways this was kind of a relief because it was a game where they had a choice to fall back into a familiar friend from 2019 that we'll get to But we'll start off with the jumbo package with three defensive backs. They didn't play that at all during the game. And you might have noticed this, but but I'm sure some folks out there didn't. When the Cowboys got down to the four-yard line, in fact, for all of their goal-to-go snaps, the Ravens had the standard nickel defense on the field. The Cowboys put 11 personnel on the field, three wide receivers. And the Ravens put just two defensive linemen on and we're having to stop all of those plays from the one yard line with just two linemen. And normally you see four heavies lining up and going right at it with two outside linebackers flanking them and two safeties flanking them. And you got you got, you know, inside linebackers that are hopping the pile. Not the case here. Uh, they went all with the standard nickel defense inside the uh, four yard line. That's the benefit of a
5: Brandon Williams, really. It, he, he allows you to get away with something like that. Uh, and also with just the way Dallas runs their scheme with those rub routes. I don't think you want to get caught with the linebacker or somebody trying to match up with
4: one of their receivers. Yeah, that's a good point. You really do want defensive backs on their on their uh, wide receivers. And when they finally did get it done, you really saw Amari Cooper's A move put on Humphrey. I, that's, that's a move that... That's a number one wide receiver move, is all I can say, is one hard mm-hmm. step firmly in the ground, cut back towards the posts, and and got easy separation there. You know, I look at that. I wish we had a receiver who I really thought had that ability to juke somebody right off the line of scrimmage.
5: Yep, sure. I think that was actually Peter's, because uh, Humphrey was on Lamb in the slot, if I recall. But yeah, and, and, the, and Gallup, Gallup's touchdown also. Gallup was the one where he drew a PI on
4: Humphrey in the mm-hmm. end zone, which could have won either way. But that's, you know, tip your hat. It's a good play. Yeah, you're absolutely correct. That was Peters. Uh, okay, let's move on here. The base package, the Ravens played it nine times in this game. Now, the Cowboys didn't play a whole lot of 12 and 13 personnel, but when they put it out there, the Ravens put the base package out there. Uh, they put a little bit with two tight ends, and it was it was primarily base, nine plays, 47 yards, 5.2. By the way, it was all kind of lukewarm water here, and there's nothing wrong with giving up 5.2 yards of play in the NFL if it's a, you know – some set package. So, uh, I didn't see anything wrong with this. I thought the Cowboys' too tight end look actually was something that could have given the the Ravens some t- trouble, given what they have in the middle of the field.
5: Sure, um, they did have some trouble in the middle of the field. We'll get to that. Uh, I think this is where Ferguson saw most of his snaps in this, uh, or I guess at least some of his snaps. And I thought Ferguson. Played pretty well, uh, starting to set the edge a little bit better and, and making some things happen as part of that base with Judon. Without Judon, you need somebody to step up there.
4: Yeah, the, the play for Ferguson that I really wasn't very happy with him, I, I, I'm generally very happy with what Ferguson's become as a run defender. I think he's greatly improved. Mm-hmm. But, but what, I, what I, I didn't like was on the a Cooper reverse, he, Ferguson did not get the proper depth on that play. Okay. And he stayed at the line of scrimmage. He, was, he had great backside discipline, so he was ready to contain Elliott, but only Elliott. He didn't get the depth proper to contain Amari Cooper. And when you see those plays b- b- blown up on the backside, those reverses, it's always because that defensive edge player gets the proper depth to make there be no escape for that wide receiver coming around on the on the reverse so unfortunate on that play and he was the only defense on the on that edge which which uh, led to a what about a 10 yard run i think on that play very good all right let's move on jumbo nickel here five snaps uh they use that primarily against 11 personnel on first and second down again five plays 26 yards 5.2 standard nickel 26 times That was effective. Uh, They used that essentially against 11 personnel. The Cowboys' uh, main three wide receivers played the bulk of the snaps, but they also had a couple other guys contributing a small percentage of snaps. So it worked out. They used 2.81 wide receivers per play, which is almost like playing 11 personnel every down. And when they had that 11 personnel on the field, the the Ravens had the standard nickel a a good amount until they went to the race car later. So 26 plays, 116 yards, four and a half yards per play in the standard nickel. Good defense. The numbers bolstered a little bit by the fact that they were playing standard nickel in the goal line.
5: Sure. And I, I thought it was notable that Humphrey was exclusively, unless I missed a play or two, in the slot. He did not line up outside in the nickel. Yeah, uh, I thought perhaps Averett would take some uh, some nickel or slot snaps. He did not. Whether it was Lamb or or Cooper in the slot, Humphrey was always in the slot.
4: Yeah, that's that's right. And and it's it's kind of surprising. A couple of things going on is one, they didn't do any follow now. They have awfully good receivers, and I don't think it does, a, it does a lot of good to follow. But if you want to follow Molly, Mari Cooper, I wouldn't have minded with that. If you want to follow Lamb, I wouldn't have minded with that. It's just I'm not sure it matters too much because of, of who they are. But the Ravens kind of committed themselves to zone defense, particularly once they got the lead in this game. Hmm. And they're really playing very just a very soft, let's, let's not give up big plays in this game kind of defense. And, and that's what we saw regardless of the personnel on the field. They were willing to go to a to a you know a zone concept of some sort to to stay out of the big play. Absolutely, absolutely. And you did not see very much pressing at the line at all no. in this game. No, absolutely right on the money. Uh, the, the Ravens played three snaps of an alternate base package, and I've been trying to uh, figure out some of these packages which I've never seen before this year. And part of what's happening is that Martindale is really treating board as a safety. So when he puts three inside linebackers, two defensive linemen, two outside linebackers, and four defensive backs on the field, but one of the defensive backs is Chris Board, what he's really doing is playing big nickel in a way, if you think of board as being a third safety in that package. And they were effective in that. They they uh, uh, did a good job. It was all on first down versus 12 personnel, and they had three plays for minus one yards. Uh, and uh, with that package on the field, so he's found some creative ways to use Chris Board. Board saw a season high thirty seven snaps, um, quite a bit, quite a few. He's really taken Levine's pretty much all of Levine's work in a way. Yeah, yeah, he has. And and you know when they went to the race car dime later in this game, which they played twenty one snaps of race car nickel in this game. Let me explain again what I mean by that. Package includes one defensive lineman one inside linebacker and four outside linebackers together with a standard nickel secondary. Now what they're really doing there with their inside linebacker in every single case of these 21, it was Chris board who is really like a third safety on the field or a proxy safety as I've been calling him. Uh, that's it. That's an a, an extra player that Martindale believes in his coverage skills. And he took Patrick queen off the field in all of those cases, which is pretty, pretty substantial reduction in snaps for queen to play this, You know, the the best chance that he thought they had to play solid zone defense against the Cowboys. Sure. And that's the advantage of Chuck Clark relaying the signals as a safety,
5: not an inside linebacker. I think that long term, I think that's still the best
4: strategy is going to be a safety moving forward. Okay. I, I agree completely with that. But you're talking specifically about the flexibility to play or not play any inside linebacker on any down, right? Exactly. Okay. I completely agree with that. Um, they play the rush nickel, uh, 10 snaps. we going to need to go into that too much, but that's with three outside linebackers on the field, and they were effective in that. There wasn't any package that the Ravens really got beat on. The worst was 6.3 yards per play in this race car, and like I said, they were playing very um, uh, loose zone coverage at that point, allowed a fair number of, of medium-distance plays. They played three snaps a dime all at the end of each half, so that one-man pass rush that they tossed out there was a – a uh, nice opportunity for Patrick Queen to get pinballed around the edge of that bucket. <laughs> and
5: they dropped wolf it to uh, like I guess yes. as a spy or
4: something <laughs> yeah. I, I, odd, odd choice there I, mean, I I do trust Queen to chase down a guy once he has the ball he's got plenty of experience doing that I just don't it, it won't be much of a coverage asset but if his only job is to keep um, Elliot who was kept in the block on that play right. in front of him I'm sure he could have handled that <laughs> yeah <laughs> All right. All right. Well, lots of fun there. Uh, So we're through the packages. Talk a little pass rush now? Sure. Okay. So Martindale dialed back a lot of the pass rush in this game. Uh, We had Dalton had ample time and space, first of all, on 17 of 49 dropbacks. That's 35%, a little higher than uh, – average, but not much. It's really right about average. Uh, but he also delivered the ball before pressure could develop on 19 throws. So you take the 17 plus the 19, it gives 36, and you're left with only 13 actual pressure events that the Ravens generated in 49 dropbacks. That's a very disappointing total, given what the Ravens brought to the table in terms of their pass rush relative to the Cowboys not completely cohesive offensive line.
5: Sure. It was um, Daniel Reese um, had a conversation with him and apparently entering this game, Dalton had the fifth quickest uh, time of release ball out quick, as you say in the league. So he's known for that. Um, it was a tough game for, for Bowser. I thought didn't have a great game. Had, lose, lost his footing on quite a few plays, mm-hmm. um, but it, the, on the bright side, they were able to crank up the pressure in the fourth quarter, where it was almost no pressure at all. And then the last two drives, they started to collapse the pocket on a, on a more
4: frequent basis. Yeah, so Jahad Ward had three consecutive quarterback hits at one point. On the very first play of the fourth quarter, he had that sack. And that was all, by the way, once they went to the race car. So once they had their four outside linebackers on the field, they were really in hunting mode and and taking chances. You made a great point there about, about Dalton and his time to throw. Because I, I was not aware, actually, that it had been that low for the year. I just looked at this last week. And this against the Ravens, he was 2.89 seconds time to, time to throw, which is fairly long. That's, that's up towards the longer, longer end of the league. Whereas Roethlisberger the week before was 221, and Rivers has been down in the 230s against the Ravens. Uh, you know Those are the guys who really get rid of the ball quickly. There was time for rush. There was time for stunting in this game and the Ravens actually did it reasonably effective in terms of effectively in terms of what they did. Definitely Ward and Wolf combined for the, for the stunting uh,
5: that was definitely the most effective part of the pass rush. Uh, It it definitely throughout the game. Um, And again, uh, it was without maybe as many quality cornerbacks or, or proven cornerbacks. I think maybe that, was one of the reasons why Wink dialed it back a little bit because that's what unlocks the defense and allows you to send extra rushers when you're a little bit more confident in your coverage on the back end.
4: There you go. Uh, Ravens rushed 5-plus on 16 of 49 dropbacks. That's 33%. That's well below their season average. So it was definitely a we'll rush the guys at the line of scrimmage uh game more than not and you know Wink did some blitzing and the Ravens obviously have had the strength to drop Bowser from wherever uh, along the line of scrimmage to create an extra coverage player that has real value but uh the, the Ravens didn't. They didn't. They didn't go crazy with scheme in this game, despite the fact that they had long opportunities to hunt, particularly towards the end of the game. Uh, we'll talk about that in just a just a little bit. Um, Eleven blitzes from off the line of scrimmage. Uh, only three of those were by DBs. Now, Martindale, when he's really going after it, he sends a DB from wherever he wants to, including mm-hmm. the game earlier this year when they had sacks from five different DBs to right. set a record.
2: Mm-hmm.
5: Yeah, with just a few. Uh, I only counted what maybe two or three gap blitzes from the linebackers, and then a couple of slot blitzes, but it wasn't that uh, definitely not up to what he usually does.
4: Yeah, I, I, in yeah, I, Humphrey declared early on one even, so it wasn't. I didn't even count it as a blitz, but he he came off his slot receiver, mm-hmm. then went back, then came up, kind of a weird situation there. Mm-hmm. They did stunt ten times in this game. Three of those resulted in pressure events: a sack, a quarterback hit, and a pressure. The sack and the quarterback hit both by. Let's get it right. Ward. (laughs) And uh, both the sack and the quarterback hit, as as we talked earlier, uh, were delivered on stunt help that was created by Wolf. Cannot get away from how valuable he is. Campbell brings a lot of those same qualities to the field, and a healthy Campbell would do an immense amount to make the, the, the Ravens a lot harder to handle. Not to mention the return of Judon is going to be terrifically valuable in terms of having a player with the quickness to taking advantage of stunts and blitzing even from off the line of scrimmage where he can best take advantage of a gap.
5: Mm -hmm. Judon's almost like a chess piece on defense at times, the the way Wink uses him.
4: Lots of ability to move around, lots of ability to cover, and, and certainly has the ability to push, position himself off the line of scrimmage and either cover or rush from there. Uh, we've seen it. And then Bowser's been used in a similar way and, and frankly, is the best coverage linebacker on the team. Uh, there's, it's really rare that you get to a point where there's no inside linebacker, including the guy your defensive coordinator is playing as a safety, who's <laughs> even nearly <laughs> as good a coverage player. Sure, sure. Great point. Yeah. Uh let's see. They said t- 12 times they dropped two plus from the line of scrimmage to cover one sack, one quarterback hit, one pressure among those. So, uh all in all a a good game uh for average pass result and a bad game for getting good pressure results despite the fact they picked it up a little bit in the fourth quarter with the race car. They really were having a terrible game up to that point and uh and then had some pressures in Q4. I don't think it'd be wrong to be concerned about the pass rush, but I will say this. I don't think they're also taking full advantage. Certainly what Campbell can do, they didn't have Judon here to take advantage of some of the space Ngakwe creates. Uh-huh. I know you want to talk about Yannick a little bit at, uh-huh. at, at some point, but uh, uh, you know he's a player who fans out that tackle and creates a lot of B-gap space on that side. And you can use that for all sorts of different schematic ploys, whether you're whether you're going to rush off the slot, you're going to rush a linebacker, you're going to stunt, whatever it might be. Awesome opportunities are created by space uh, if, the, if your outside linebacker has the quickness to fan out the tackle aggressively, snap after snap.
5: Absolutely. Ngakwe, uh, he has that speed rush. He's, I guess he and Bowser to some extent, but he's really the one that brings that speed rush. And if you don't just try to lay him around the pocket, um, he's probably going to cause some pressure more times than not.
4: Yeah, they they did a really good job. Dallas did a really good job at left tackle of fanning him, or, or sorry, of blocking him twelve to six in this game. I thought, meaning mm-hmm. blocking him around the edge of the clock, the edge of the pocket, uh, rather than than allowing him to do the damage personally. It's funny because Maureen and I watch these games, and we're trying to get the numbers of the players as we go. It would be annoying as hell to watch a football game with us if you're anybody else because we're constantly <laughs> working, stopping the remote and saying go back and forward, go back and forward, and and we're recording the players as we go. So so what we what we'll often notice is that Ngakwe seems to be in a very favorable position to make a play. And it goes, Oh, looks like Ngakwe's gonna get a strip sack here. And then he'd be just pushed back by a foot or two mm-hmm. beyond the reach of Dalton's <coughs> arm. And it was just so it's it was a it was a bummer to keep seeing that happen in this game.
5: I agree with that completely. I, I thought actually you were going to say it's hard to pick up the number on his jersey because of the way he bends around the edge. Because is- that's that's true too. When I'm watching the game and I write it down by number, who's doing what? And I, he's more than any other player. I have to rewind and say, who, who was that again? Because I can't see yeah. the number on the jersey.
4: Yeah, there's, there's a lot of tricks that go into this if you do this. But I'll say this. Voss, we are lucky to be fans of the Baltimore Ravens. I would have already either put a bullet in my head or at least not be doing this <laughs> if, if I were a fan of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and those unreadable freaking jerseys for the <laughs> Miami Dolphins or, or probably about 10 other teams. But but there, there's a lot of very hard to read jerseys in the NFL. Unfortunately, the Ravens are, are nice and easy to read <laughs> numbers when they're not in the color rush. Oh, for sure. For <laughs> sure. At Lowe's, we're your go-to
3: for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select-bagged mulch, now starting at just two eighty-eight dollars a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture, and when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space, just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in-store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location, while supplies last, U.S. only, excludes Alaska and Hawaii.
4: All right. All right. Well, let's talk some individual players here. So, Vaso, you're the guest. Why don't you go first? Pick a player you'd like to talk about, what you saw from him, and we'll kind of have a back and forth.
5: I want to start with Ward because uh, I think he was the MVP of this game. This was his first action since week six. He hasn't played since week six, which I was – I know he was a healthy scratch a few times. I was surprised it's been quite that long. For reference, Ngakwe was acquired in week eight, so I think that's had something to do with it. Um, as we remember from last year, he was, we started earning more snaps as an edge setter, but this game, he was really effective as a pass rusher, um, four quarterback hits. And really what was important was he forced two field goals on consecutive drives on third down. They ended up missing on both. The Ravens were having a hard time getting off the field and he was the man that got them off the field.
4: Right. So he, he had the pressure on that third and eight against Williams. And this was just a bull pressure where Dalton threw incomplete in the end zone to Gallup. Mm-hmm. That's the one from 33 yards. And that, I, that, I think that was third down, but I'm, I might be wrong. It might have been second. But either way, they got off the field then. Um, the other thing that I really liked is he got pressure in a variety of ways in this game. So I mentioned the bull pressure just now. He had a stunt where he was the over guy. He had a stunt where he's the under guy. And then we saw we really saw Q four seven forty eight. Take a look at the spin move he puts on the right guard McGovern, mm-hmm. and that was that was uh, it was quite an interesting thing to see. And then he and then he he finished up with a cleanup quarterback hit, and I'm fine with that. Obviously, Bowser got the pressure on that play, moved Dalton around, but he finished it up with a uh, uh, with a takedown. And even though he got those three straight quarterback hits, they got a, a, a four yard play on third and four to complete that play. So three straight quarterback hits and the, the Cowboys still got 10 yards in that sequence.
5: One of those games, as you said, Brandon Williams had two consecutive goal line stop, really three. If you watch even mm-hmm. first down and then they ended up getting a touchdown on fourth down. But uh, one of those games, as long as they get the W I guess.
4: Yeah. And, and it, it's more important, I think, as I'm sure you do, that that what it says about, you know, what they can be as a stunt team and, and how much pressure he can put out of the race car package. But, you know, the Ravens, obviously they've had tremendous problems getting pressure from any kind of interior defensive lineman. Now, that's not exactly what Ward is. And this uh, point comes up often because the Ravens still list him as a defensive end on the roster when he's clearly an outside linebacker. But he's, a, he's an outside linebacker in the same mold as McPhee, someone who kicks inside and plays with a hand in the dirt. And that's where all this pressure came from. He didn't have any, I, I don't believe he had even a single pressure that was as a standing outside linebacker. I might be wrong about that, with the Q3, 916 pressure he had on the bull rush. I might be wrong, but I believe it was all from that uh, inside, uh, You know what I'll call the number two spot. It's not actually a two tech, but it would have been like one of two three techs on right. the play.
5: Yeah, I, I marked it down as three tech. You're, you're a little bit more precise, I think, in that regard. And we've seen McPhee do that. Z'Darrius Smith used to take that alignment a couple years back. Uh, and that, you know, interior pressure, especially against these quarterbacks would the, get the ball that quick. Interior pressure is more valuable than edge pressure a lot of times.
4: Yeah, there you go. All right. OK, my turn to pick a player. Let's do it. I'm going to go with Brandon Williams. Uh, just an outrageously good game here. I think we talked about him a little bit. Um, th- the amount of contributions he had in a, sh- in a relatively small number of plays. Basically, he made a big play about every four plays he was on the field. And I just – I can't overstate the – I don't think you can overstate the importance of having it back and how it impacted the run game. This week, you know, they faced a Dallas run game that wasn't projected to be particularly good. Zeke hasn't had a good season. The offensive line is in tatters. But next week, they're going to face the offensive line of offensive lines against Cleveland. They've lost, even in week one, when they had Campbell, when they had Williams, when they had Wolf all active, they lost the defensive line battle that week and they lost it on the offensive line as well. This is a very big physical team that they're going to need to win at least one side of the ball. They can't re- depend on Lamar Jackson basically bailing him out with four out of 27 ample time and space opportunities but a 152 passer rating. <laughs> Great point.
5: Wow. that What a disparity there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Williams is very important. He, he always has been. He always will be, especially in this kind of matchup. Uh, I believe... And I could be wrong, but the Browns' star offensive guard Davis Wyatt—I believe his name is Wyatt Teller. Teller, yeah. he—I uh, think he's on the COVID list. I saw just came across the wire maybe yesterday. Wow! But uh, <laughs> that's neither here nor there, and who knows if, if it's a—it's going to miss a game or if it's a one of those two or three day deals. But
4: uh, we'll see. Yeah, he, hes one of the best linemen in the league, and and you know they lost. I guess it was Schwartz to Kansas City. And I don't remember. I, I, it may be two years ago now, or it may have been just this last year. But when they lost him, uh, it left a hole. And then Teller comes along. And immediately, in his, you know, his first year or two, he's, he's the best player uh, on that offensive line. Breakout year this year, for sure. Yeah. It's, uh,
5: he's been all pro level this year, for sure. All right. Your turn. Okay. Um, let's go to Pernell McPhee. Great to have him back. He had a tackle for loss that they didn't credit for in the game book, but he certainly tackled, uh, I believe it was Elliott, uh, behind the line of scrimmage where he just used his hands to rip around the edge and shot into the backfield. Also had a nice QB hit on the final drive, actually similar to the one he was flagged for with a <laughs> with a hit right, right at hip level right as the ball was being released. Uh, but he had multiple pressures. I don't know. I'm a big McPhee fan. He's one of my favorite players. Um, I think he kind of embodies what the Ravens are. And it's really great to see him back out there and playing well.
4: Yeah, he's. A, he's I love him too. I mean, he's, he's had a stretch here at midseason – where when healthy, he's played extremely well and been delivering a lot of pressure, not always with a whole lot of help, but he's definitely one of the pieces down the stretch that the Ravens can really choose to maximize. Uh, When he was here on his first stint, he was a guy who early on in his career, in fact, in 2012, his second year, They played him very sparingly, but they brought him in basically in the second half of that AFC championship game, and he took the game over. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and, you know, I'd love to see that kind of snap management, if it could be done. He makes it difficult because he's the Ravens' best run defender on the edge right now.
5: True. I I mean, when you look at it, they have five capable outside linebackers in a way. Uh, You'd like to see it. But again, as you said, he's the best. I guess Judon's maybe the second best. And... Unfortunately, it's just the way the roster is constructed because he is uh, an excellent uh, pass rusher when, when his snaps are limited.
4: What do you, what do you do this next week in terms of setting your fifty? Sorry, your forty eight man roster from the fifty three <laughs> in terms of the outside linebacker
2: core. Uh,
5: well, let me. Well, I was gonna I was gonna go on a quick tangent when we got to Ngakwe because go. I heard uh, I, I called a minute of sports talk radio this afternoon and Vinny Serrato. Was uh was I guess half jokingly was saying they should deactivate Ngakwe against Cleveland because they're such a run heavy team that uh, that goes with play action. Um, I don't agree with that. Uh, <laughs> he, you know he's he's the best pass rusher, pure pass rusher on the team. I counted him with he had a good handful of pressures in this game. He's not he's not getting home. You know he's not getting home. He had one tack on this game on fifty six snaps. But uh, I, I was going to actually see what, what your uh, what your thoughts were there.
4: Well, Let's start with this. I th- I don't think Yannick Ngakwe is the kind of player who shows up in the stats sheet unless he's getting the sacks and forced fumbles. But you know he is a in on pass rushdowns more than rundowns. So if you know if Vinny was serious about this, he should have just said they should only play him on pass downs. That mm-hmm. would have been a reasonable choice of, of of words there because there's plenty of times when when the and I really don't like him out there on rundowns at all. And he generally speaking, they don't put him out there on first down unless the other team runs a no huddle off a conversion. So so it's it's not a it, they don't ever put him out there. Martin Dale's very aware of what his capabilities are and he's got better edge defenders. He also needs to find playing time for Ferguson. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, you know, for Ferguson and McPhee to be out there on first down makes a lot of sense. Uh, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense for for Ngakwe. But to, to say that Ngakwe <laughs> is not helping the team in terms of pass rush, that's silliness. That's, uh, that's out there.
5: I mean, some yeah. people only watch the stats and just like they've devalued Judon's contributions in the past and others because they're not getting 12 sacks, 15 sacks, three sacks a game every game. Uh, pressures are are more valuable than sacks sometimes.
4: Yeah, pressure is more valuable in the case of Judan and and uh, Bowser. They completely drive the Ravens pass rush scheme mm-hmm. by yeah. allowing them to drop to the coverage. They have far more incremental value. I actually think that Judan, when he gets to play with Ngakwe, is going to explode. Mm-hmm. Now, so far, let's see. Judan lost essentially a game after a few snaps against Pittsburgh because he got ejected, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and he's he's been on the COVID list. So it, it really he's been at a point where. Uh, he's, I guess he's missed two straight with COVID, right? For Jaden, yes. yeah. So, so he hasn't played a lot with Ngakwe yet, and he hasn't played at all with Ngakwe against a team that's actually vulnerable to the rush that doesn't get rid of the ball quickly. That's going to happen these last four weeks, and he's got a real opportunity to to wreak some havoc. And I think that 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 he ha- should have that opportunity to do so. Playing with Ngakwe, playing with some of the stunt capabilities of Wolf and hopefully Campbell as well uh, to create some big pressure opportunities.
5: Indianapolis, that game probably the best defensive performance of the year, at least one of them. Mm-hmm. And both the Edge played well, made some impact plays in that game.
4: Yeah, that's that's a great point. All right, is it my turn here in terms of another player? Yes. All right, who do I want to talk about? How about Patrick Queen? Uh, so they they reduced his snaps in this game and uh, had him on the field. I do not have the snap total in front of me, so I might need your help picking this out here. I'll take it from the game book. I can give it to you from there, which is going to be a little bit higher than what I have in an article, but Queen played, let's see, 38. No, make it 52 snaps in this game out of 79 defensive snaps as the game book uh, adjudicates him. So he missed 27 snaps. I mentioned 21 of those were race car nickel. He was out in some other packages as well where, where Board was the only inside linebacker. I think it makes sense to focus his snaps and get him a reduced workload, which is more – we'll keep him fresher for starters, but we'll also focus him maybe on downs where the opponent is less likely to pass. and He can do some good things with his sideline to sideline speed against the run, maybe with some gap gambling if they can get that going more to be more effective against the run, uh, but not as much where he'll be a focus and a target in the middle of the field.
5: Uh, He was inconsistent in this game. He had some really good plays. He had some, some not so good plays, I guess what you expect, from a rookie that only started for half a season in college. He had a little bit of trouble taking on blocks early in the game. Later on, he was making some big stops in the hole in the run game. Uh, the fingertip interception, I think we should touch on that. That's a pretty special play. I don't know there's a lot of linebackers that can pick the ball up, have the awareness, number one, to, to, and then just to pick the ball off the turf like that. I watched Ray Lewis play in Baltimore for a long time. I saw quite a few interceptions tip off his fingertips. I'm not sure Ray Lewis makes that play.
4: Yeah, Ray had some great ones too, some great diving stops, but, uh, but a lot of Ray's ability was in handling the tip drill with himself. Yeah, so the ball, <laughs> up point. And where, he, where he could handle it. Uh, it, was, it was a great player in that respect. And we saw it, he actually tipped the ball to Sharper in Super Bowl 35. But there, he, he's he's uh, he's a class apart. Re- Queen does not have to be Ray Lewis. But I, I have used this analogy already. Queen's rookie year is not dissimilar to where Ray Lewis was as a rookie in 1996 in this way. Ray played only 67 percent of the snaps as a rookie. Queen is clearly giving every indication that a reduced role where off the field on passing downs is probably appropriate to try and get the opponent off the field. And the Ravens are reacting to that um, reality by having board out there on a lot of third down plays. Uh, Ray Lewis as a rookie was replaced by the great. And I say that you know, <laughs> the way it is, Benny Thompson, who was a special teams ace mm-hmm. and Fourth safety on the team who came in and played the quarter role, which is a you you know where the dime is a place next to the inside linebackers in the quarter place in place of that second inside linebacker. They played that one hundred and sixteen times in Ray Lewis's rookie year. And, you know, it's okay that he would be playing less than full time right now. I know they need it to happen. He's obviously, you know, didn't have the preparation that Ray Lewis had as a rookie with the, you know, the nice long offseason that was COVID free at that time. Uh, it's it's not unreasonable to, to expect Queen to not be a full time player at this point. Sure, absolutely.
5: Um, I I think the fact that he I think he makes up for some of the mistakes with big plays with splash plays, and mm-hmm. if he can continue to do that, then I think you take the go with the bad and you continue to build into next year with uh,
4: hopefully mini camps and and some other practice time to really get all the players up to speed. Yeah, he's a, he's a player. You know, with Miles Boykin, you want to get him on the jug's gun and, and do things. You want to get him working with the receiving coach that can give him position specific skills. With Lamar Jackson, it came overnight, you know, between his first and second year in terms of picking up all of those additional quarterbacking skills that would help him at the NFL level by working with somebody. How about a player like Patrick Queen? What sort of a regimen does he need for the time between year one and year two?
5: I think just reps. Uh, he's not necessarily as cerebral, maybe as a player that just has more more reps. Yeah. Um, with the zone coverage, a lot, especially in this game, there were some plays where he was kind of called no man's land. Yep. Um, and then some of the run plays, a little bit the misdirections, or maybe one or two of uh, Elliot's cutbacks. He just didn't necessarily have that muscle memory to know exactly where to be i
4: guess yeah he's, he's he does not read play action well he doesn't guess well on, on play action is the way i put it but the the frustrating thing we've seen from queen over and over again this year is him abandoning his zone responsibility and you know it, it actually leaving his zone as if the guy he's covering through his zone is then a man coverage assignment <laughs> i think we saw a play like that i believe it was to the tight end
5: and uh it was a play action, and he left his zone to cover the back, leaking out of the backfield in this game, if I recall. All
4: right. There's definitely one I, I saw with a shallow cross where they had overloaded that zone as well, but I thought that was about one was to a wide receiver. So we may be talking about two different plays, but okay. it, wouldn't, it wouldn't be surprising, by the way, <laughs> if it happened more than <laughs> once, because yeah. it certainly has so far this year. Now, I, I, folks out there think I'm hating on Patrick Queen. I really hope Patrick Queen is going to be a great linebacker. But if the only secret sauce to make this work is reps, it's going to be a slower trip to him being a Pro Bowl player than if there was some way to actively teach him zone concepts in a one-on-one setting over the off season. But it's almost like he needs to have maybe a bunch of high school players that he's that he's playing with or college players at Division three or something, whatever you've got available to you, let's just put it that way, who can – play a zone defense along with him and you effectively you know end up hiring 12 people or 15 people or a seven on seven drill to get him functioning within his own system uh,
5: uh, yeah I, I agree with you there um, not quite sure you know Martindale is is and I've seen him at training camp working uh, intensively specifically with the inside backers and that's one of his fortes Um you know, we'll, we'll see how it goes with Queenie. He has all the physical ability, the natural ability that you want, and he's he's made how many strip sacks and sacks and interceptions and and uh, touchdown this year. So he's making plays, but he's not the Luke Kuechly doesn't make any mistakes uh, inside linebacker yet. There you go. All right. Well, your turn. You want to talk about another player? <laughs> Let's move on to Anthony Averett. Uh, fortunately he had a he had a pretty tough game um, soft coverage throughout and Harris they seemed to be worried that they were gonna get beat down the sideline pretty much on every pass um, which hey if that's if that's what you're instructed to do that's fine um, he had I counted two missed tackles uh, I believe in the fourth quarter he did have a nice tackle on Cooper in pursuit of uh, preventing a first down on a short crosser um, and a pass defense in the end zone but he was also he also gave up six uh, first downs uh, into his coverage. so first came back in a while um, and he's been a little bit up and down in his career but this was not one of his better games.
4: No, it, it certainly wasn't, but you know, a lot of it I don't really blame on Averett as much. Of it's a natural kind of an outcome of the scheme is that they 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 want to go into a soft zone. You want to have Averett playing way off the line of scrimmage. You got to expect the opponent to try and take advantage of that, and they're also going to try and take advantage where they think they ha- they are not going to get beat by a guessing cornerback. So they're probably not going to go after Peters. Mm-hmm. In that situation, if you're Dalton, Dalton's, you know, seen it happen. I guess he was, Dalton was still with the Bengals last year when Ryan Finley threw the interception to uh, to Peters, right? Or was Dalton somewhere else? I'm trying to remember where Dalton was last year, but Ryan Finley was the starter for that game. I know that. Was he hurt? I thought he was hurt last year, right? Could be. Yeah. All right. So anyway, uh, Averitt got picked on a little bit. I, I'm still hopeful that, that Averitt can be a player. We've seen good things from him at times. He's certainly flashed enough. He's a year three cornerback. He cannot afford to let this game define his career. Certainly uh, the Ravens don't want that to be the case. So I think they'll, he'll get playing time down the stretch based on where they are. I was a little surprised in this game that Devontae Harris did not get more playing time. He was out there for 12 snaps and it kind of makes me wonder, did he get hurt? I haven't heard anything, but I guess we'll find out from the first injury report tomorrow. On
5: first watch, it seemed that way. Well, it seen that was that Harris was pulled for Averett. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then on second watch, I did see Harris getting a few snaps uh, later than I recall. I remember on the on the first go round, but uh, certainly possible. Um, and do we know when uh, Williams is, is supposed to come back from this? From the, I guess it's a thigh slash maybe hamstring because it seems that they call hamstrings thighs now. Yeah, they don't want to give away too much information. Boy,
4: they're going to get like hockey pretty soon. Who could who um, could guess that a, a thigh means hamstring? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, no, I, I actually don't know. I was looking at my score sheet here to see that Harris played his last snap in the middle of quarter two. Okay. So that that And he played nine special team snaps looking at the game book. So I think he might have left with some sort of a minor injury based on on that. I would have thought – he would have come back for at least a little more playing time, given how effective he was in his first game. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some of the things they'd, they'd want to see. But uh, he did, you know, obviously he, he was in there only briefly. The thing I remember most about this game was him giving up the reception and then holding on by the shirt tail, but being able to make the tackle by that on, uh, on one of the passes early. Uh, he did make a pretty nice tackle on special teams. Looked like a
5: hard collision. So who knows? Just speculating, but that may have something to do with it.
4: Yeah, I didn't see it on defense, so that's, but it makes a lot of sense from from what you're saying. All right, I'm going to go with one more player. I'll talk about L.J. Fort here. Outstanding game, I thought. Um, he did so much in terms of being in the right place at the right time, but when you see L.J. Fort, you see a player who really understands his coverage responsibilities and is usually able to execute them, although he does have some physical limitations. Otherwise, he'd be an all-pro, frankly, with the way he understands things, but he— Made a great move to come up on Elliott and take him down for a loss of four on a swing pass. Uh, when when he was really the guy who could make that play without it going for some significant yardage, uh, he took him down for a loss of four. Uh, Peters bit on a play action fake uh, and and was coming in to make a tackle on Elliott. You know, showing that physicality that we don't always see from Marcus Peters, but uh, Fort actually went over and covered the wheel route mm-hmm. that he left for um, Elliott and uh, picked it up beautifully and tipped the ball and, and uh, out of bounds. Uh, we saw him uh, make two plays down on the goal line where he was actually the primary tackler and Wolf got the assist of those. Now we've mentioned that Brandon Williams was involved in blowing up those plays, but those are really good plays. I mean, they have only two linemen on the field. Somebody else has got to be a big body and make a make a sacrifice to get in there to beat those linemen. And, and Fort was the guy uh, on those plays. And then, of course, you know, one of the real oddball plays of the game is, is the Anthony Averett PD, which was a, a thing of beauty in its own right before he landed out of bounds, knocked back inbounds. Fort apparently made the grab. It appeared to be a acrobatic diving interception, ruled out of bounds and not challenged. Uh, you know, the, the whoever the rules guy, they had Macaulay or whoever it was on this on this uh, or Pereira uh, seemed to think it was a it was a pick.
5: Um it did look I I think I think he was out of bounds there, but but uh regardless, Fort played well, very well. I thought he was inter- gonna intercept that wiggle route. That mm-hmm. looked like a and he was gonna take it the other way too, because he really jumped that route. Um no, he just he played very well. Te- couple tackles for loss, um great against the run. He only played 33 snaps, which mm-hmm. I was a little bit surprised by, but they're working Harrison in, and I think Harrison has a lot of ability, too, so I do like to see that. But very strong game. He's that, I guess, behind uh, Clark. He's kind of that that uh, that spine of the defense with the, just knows where to be, intelligent player, heady player, and just kind of uh, like we had last year, 2019, when everything was going haywire, and they brought in Ford and Bynes, and everything kind of fell into
4: place. Yeah, that was that was a remarkable turnaround. You, you know, we've never talked about this because Clark still hasn't missed a snap this season, thank goodness. But what would happen if Clark went down in terms of who gets the green dot on this team? I mean, they've got a couple of different options. I, My own personal opinion, I think it would be Elliott. Makes the most sense. He plays every snap already. He is a free safety. It makes it means it's a little harder for him. But they did have the, the green dot with Weddle previously. It you know, mm-hmm. kind of breaks the rule of a free safety doing it.
5: Mm-hmm yeah uh, I think Fort may be I mean Elliot's still kind of a little bit green at this point um, but either way fort is he's, he's a good solid player to have he's not your star player that's going to uh, be making pro Bowls and making splash flashy plays every time on the on the billboard downtown but he's a very good player to have on the team.
4: Yeah so if if Fort were the guy to take over the helmet what that would mean is he'd have to take over all the responsibilities that board currently has mm-hmm. so he he'd have to be that linebacker he'd have to be a mike linebacker effectively on on the individual play so actually he could play the will and queen could play the mike on early downs and then Fort would have to stay on the field for third down so it's it's it gets complicated and and I just I don't Fort is really the he'd be my second choice but I think after I, it almost has to be him has to be Elliott as the next guy. If if anything were to happen, and then the team, boy, if they lost a safety at this point, they don't have anyone else. I mean, Geno Stone would have to be brought up and you know learn under fire.
5: Very thin at safety, and I think that's why they're not using as much time. I'm still waiting for Nigel Warrior to to have a look because I'm I was uh, impressed by him scouting and uh, reports were good out of training camp. Um, yeah, safety. But I agree with you, Elliot. Elliot does make a lot of sense. If that knock on wood, let's let's hope that everybody stays healthy.
4: Yeah, yeah. Two two younger guys at safety now. Clark locked up for several years, but uh, uh, Elliot will be in his fourth year in his contract year next year. Pretty good chance, I would say, the Ravens draft a safety. And and it, it you do know, it, it doesn't just have to be to replace Elliott at free safety or you know, that that could be the objective you know I'd have been okay with McKinney or Delpit in this draft both of whom are hurt now uh, but it was it's it's a it's a position you want one more guy Elliott has all the ability to come up and play dime he also has all the ability to be either the starter or the backup if required next year um, and and he, uh, you know it would give the Ravens back the option of having a having a dime defense on the field which I think. They've really suffered having to play a linebacker effectively every snap. Yeah, the dime defense
5: was – it just creates a lot of turnovers. It creates a lot of plays. Um, if they do reach for a safety, or I shouldn't say reach, if they draft the safety early, and I wouldn't mind that at all, uh, it does need to be, at least in my opinion, more of the true or the free safety variety as opposed to the strong safety. But uh, we can dive more into that in the offseason.
4: Yeah, that I I think that would be a uh, that would be the way they'd go. I think they've they've got the dimes they need right now on the team from from what they have, but they it is really that free safety they need. And if they're going to go in a high round, and who knows what picks the Ravens have in a high round coming up this year with the with the potential for COVID penalization, but uh, if they go for a high round safety, if they go for a high round pick after the first round, you often don't get the safety you want. Mm-hmm. A first round is a great round to get the top free safety. there's only how
5: many true center fielders are there in the entire league? five, seven yeah I mean, there, there just really isn't that many. I, I like delpit a lot coming out last year and he hasn't played at all so who knows but there, there it's a rare skill set. Not a whole lot of collegiate
4: players have that center fielder ability. No, absolutely true. And you can look no further than the fact that PFF had stone ranked as their 53rd highest rated player. I think that's right. But they really liked his free safety ability to know that that free safety pool is not really all that deep that you're you're really talking about. You know, it, what it really comes down to is there's so many guys who really fill that dime role that they're outstanding, move all over the field, make plays. Uh, but most of them are really more comfortable running downhill towards the line of scrimmage and mm-hmm. not really understanding what all the route combinations are and playing the back end.
5: Oh, for sure. For sure. Uh, Adams and Seattle's. Those, yes. Like that. Even Hooker uh, from Indy, who was one of the better uh, center fielders to come out in quite a while. And he's had he's been injury ravaged his entire career so far.
4: All right we uh, got some got some mailbag questions here. Let's go through them, uh, Voss, if you don't mind. Sure. First, first question from Patrick Manley. Uh, why do you think the Ravens have been so reluctant to activate Jihad Ward earlier this season? When he's in, it seems like he makes plays around the ball as much as anyone. I'll let you go first on a lot of these because I'm going to be searching for the next question as we go. Uh, I think it's just a, a numbers game. Uh, they had
5: Bowser, and Ngakwe, McPhee, Ferguson, there's quite a few guys that play that that similar position. And Ward is kind of the low man on the totem pole, I suppose. But uh, maybe after this game, he will earn some more some more time.
4: Yeah, I, I agree. I think that it's they, he's made the decision difficult in terms of whether it's him or maybe Ferguson who gets deactivated this next game. But they have six outside linebackers to make five. So I don't think they can activate all six. Uh, just the way the roster is constructed and how they need to – Be have players available to play special teams and more importantly, perhaps have players available for the secondary. They really need to make sure that they have no more than five outside linebackers. Uh, And they've been doing that pretty consistently when they've had five guys healthy and not uh, not on a COVID list or, or hurt. All right. Let's see. There's a lot of uh, questions this week, and we'll, let you, we'll dive into this one since we've got a, kind of a thin mailbag here. But uh, Tristan Colon-Castillo, there seems to be a tremendous amount of questioning around why he wouldn't have been active and stayed at center after playing so well in the previous game against Pittsburgh.
5: Well, one game, right? One game. He's not, he doesn't have the experience of McCarty. I don't think that Colon-Castillo – I think he could be a good player down the future. He could beat out McCarty or Scurra potentially in training camp, but he's going to have to earn it. And You're not going to play one game, and then now you're active. All three are undrafted players, Um, but obviously you take the more experienced guy, especially when your right guard only has two or three starts and you're rotating two different players at right tackle and your quarterback's coming back off of covid uh, I think that you want the stability of someone with experience at that point.
4: Yeah. For, for what it's worth, McCary had his best game as a pro uh, this last week. Uh, he, he had been a, he had a split game where he was an A-plus and a B-plus. This game was a high A uh, in terms of his play uh, against the Cowboys, really doing a great job in the middle of that offense. A lot of good double teaming and getting getting push on his guy. Uh, did not see as much of the arm length issues in terms of missed blocks. So uh, I, I understand some of the questioning about uh, Colon Castillo. It's, it's obviously quite a feat, quite an honor, I guess, that the Ravens, with all the roster crunch they have right now, are keeping him on the 53 and not sending him back to the practice squad because they can't fit him in the eight-man group to be activated for day, for game day, that group is going to get more crowded with Will Holden coming back, and the teams need to keep tackle depth when that position has been in a little bit of flux. So I, I I'm the, I, I'm not as shocked by it. Also, wasn't quite as high as everybody else seems to be on how he played in the first game. He had a it, it, one of the problems was he had a false start that I think he caused and got charged to Bredesen when he snapped the ball late. All right. Uh, well, Vas, terrific to have you on, as always, my friend. Uh, anything you'd like to plug on the show? Uh, so I am at uh,
5: Baltimore Beatdown, part of the SB Nation community. My Twitter is at Beatdown, V-A-S-I-L-I-S Beatdown. And we are going to record a, one of our podcasts, uh, myself and fellow uh, editor Kyle Barber we do a quarterly podcast we're both a little bit busy this year but we do kind of a macro look at the Raven season and now that we've reached the three-quarter poll it's called host chief and deputy our friend Jake Luke is the producer he's the he serves the Josh role so to speak in this podcast and we're going to record that later this week so tune into the Baltimore
4: Beatdown podcast network to check out our thoughts all right. Looking forward to that. I'll, I'll, we'll take a listen. I haven't talked to Kyle in a long time. Uh, send my best to him. So it's, uh, I haven't heard from him in a while. Will do. Josh, uh, is out today. He's, uh, he's got some sickness that he's working his way through. Uh, he, he wanted to make sure we, we plug the situation room, which is out there on film study, Baltimore. There are good episodes of that out there with Jordan and Gabe, uh, talking football, usually right after the games. Look for our schedule coming up during the week. Will be normal, uh, well, normal as far as a Tuesday night game goes. That, <laughs> have, that we have a uh, uh, the the defense article out. The offensive line article will be out the day after tomorrow, and we'll have a series of four podcasts coming out with the uh, defense tomorrow, followed by Know Your Foe. We got a great guest plan for that uh, from the Browns, Jake Burns. And then on uh, the following day, which I I always lose track of days in this Tuesday week, but we'll have By the Numbers. And uh, that's with Dan Reese. Thanks again for uh, joining us, Voss. My pleasure. Thank you. And we'll talk to you next time on film Study.
3: At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select-bagged mulch, now starting at just 2.88 dollars a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in-store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii.
0: Get really into your favorite shows and movies all in one place with Flex. A 4K streaming box you get free with Xfinity Internet. And get Peacock Premium at no additional cost. Learn more at Xfinity.com Flex. Restrictions apply requires postpaid Xfinity Internet, excluding Internet essentials, one device included.